The next scene, taking on pop culture one scene at a time. Scrooge by the Ghost Now, Home Alone for the Holidays Later, Next Scene Pod on social media, and nextscenepod.com on the web. Welcome to Scrooged by the Ghost, the podcast where we haunt the 1988 classic Scrooged, one horrifying specter at a time. I'm your host, Sean German, and joining us tonight are special guests from the Rocky Minute podcast, Doug Greenberg, and from Watchmen Minute, Eric Nash. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, glad to be here. How you doing? (laughs) I'm good. How are are you folks doing tonight? Doing great, man. I'm, I'm real glad to be here for this. Oh, well, glad to have you, and Eric, welcome as well. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you both so much for... My favorite Christmas movie. I was just saying this last year at Christmas time. The Mm -hmm. people. Nice. Yeah. It's it's definitely up there for me as well. So, let's get in it. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get in it, I just want to note that, uh, unfortunately, once again, Pete Mummer uh, cannot join us tonight, but we will play that pre-recorded holiday greeting a little bit later in the show. Um, but before that, uh, let's start off with a summary of what we're talking about in uh, today's segment. And today's is is ghost number one. Uh, so what happens today is uh, Frank returns to the IBC offices after accepting his humanitarian award. We get a look into the home life of Grace, Frank's assistant, and her silent son, Calvin. And Frank gets a series of unexpected visitors, uh, one in his office who is most unwelcome, and then one later on the set of Scrooged, which is a a more welcomed guest. guest. And the day ends for us with Frank going to lunch. Um, But before we get into uh, the specifics, I kind of want to find out what's... Um, you folks, what's your history with the with the movie? What do you think about it? And uh, well, we know for at least one of you, it's it's your favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, you can start off, Eric. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's sorry. you know, yeah, it's. I'm awfully sure I would have seen this in the theater. I was, you know, tw- probably uh, tw- I guess twelve years old when it came out, and uh, my my grandparents probably would have been taking me to the movies quite a, quite a bit around then, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, back then, I think I understood some of the humor, but because I had seen Bill Murray and Ghostbusters, of course, mm-hmm. and loved him in that, uh, loved the character there. Um, how he, you know, I mean, he, 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 he quite often does a pretty similar character earlier on here in his earlier days. He's, <laughs> he's gotten a lot better at doing some other things like, uh, Lost in Translation, Wes Anderson stuff, but, um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 you know, and it, it's something you know the 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 Christmas Carol Dickens story is something I I'd been aware of prior uh, with probably mostly with uh, Mickey Mouse I think <clears throat> mm-hmm. with that version. Yeah, it sounds like you're just kind of right the the right age for this movie. It's a it's I think it's not it's not one of the more faithful adaptations of no, a Christmas yeah. Carol, but maybe um, one of the more accessible. For you know, for the young people in modern America, and it's um, it's kind of you know, it's it's there's a, there's some risque stuff, but it's you know, it's certainly PG. It's certainly appropriate for uh, you know, for a teenager. But it's I think enough excitement that I could see where yeah, that would kind of kind of get you. Uh, so so yeah, Doug, what's your history? What are your what are your feelings? Uh, I remember seeing it as a kid. I was ten when it came out in '88, mm-hmm. and I never saw it in the theaters. But I remember seeing it on TV. And as a young child, I remember there were some a few scenes that 
that frightened me. So I, I, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't watch it a whole lot as a kid. I really didn't put it regularly into the rotation till I was probably in my twenties. And now, uh, you know, ever since I guess the last like 15, 20 years or so, I've been watching it, um, it, a good between five and 10 times per season, uh, you know, between <laughs> and per season, I mean, between Thanksgiving yeah. and Christmas, Tabitha. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, season, yeah, I mean it's it's one of the, one of the more quotable Christmas movies to me. There and uh, you know there's a couple in the, in this uh, this day that I'll reference, but like that a lot of quotes in this have really worked their way into my everyday vernacular, <laughs> just because of how quotable they are. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of good lines though. So so for myself, I. I don't. I don't remember the first time I saw it. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have seen this in the theater. I wasn't big on the holiday movie or the Christmas movie. Um, I would have been um, sort of a, a late teenager when this came out. I really kind of picked up on it. Um, well, it's big in my in my wife's family. So probably about 20 years ago, we were um, we've been married for 16 years, but then we were together for a, a few years before that. And it's one of the regulars in her family. So. Uh, there's, it never gets old. There's always something new to discover, and you know, or and the old jokes are still funny mm-hmm. um, as well. It just it really hasn't. It, it's or it's aged very well, I'll say. It's one of my favorite uh, adaptations of the Charles Dickens. Um, I'm not as big into the traditional ones, but uh, like this, this is one of the more contemporary versions, and mm-hmm. it's just they they nail it. They nail they nail the feeling of it, even you know, even in its contemporary style. Yeah, well, and one of the things, and I, I've, I think I've, I've talked about this. I, I probably certainly talked about this last year when we were doing, uh, we were doing National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Days, where we covered that movie one day at a time. But one of the, one of the complaints I have is, I have trouble with the turn at the end when mm-hmm. Scrooge suddenly becomes good, and it just seems a little bit too quick, and the swing is a little bit too, from. Just a you know, this completely bitter, evil man in the beginning, and he's just completely good and and cheerful at the end. And I don't always buy it, but I think this the the turn in this movie and and the character of Frank Cross, it's a little bit more believable. I can swallow a little bit easier. And one of the significant differences is in the original Christmas Carol, there's no interaction between Scrooge and real people. Once the ghosts show up, hmm. there's from from this part of the story where Marley shows up, it's it's at night. He's awakened from his sleep. The ghost appears and then the three spirits of Christmas all show up over that one night. So you don't see any you don't see the character grow because he doesn't interact with any actual living people until the very end when he suddenly now he's born again and he's good and he's happy and, and all that and all of that sort. Where this, you know, one of the, the differences and one of the areas that this uh, gets away from that original story is we get interplay after the ghost. And we'll get some of that later on in this, you know, in this segment of the movie mm-hmm. where we see intermediate steps that Frank is taking on his path from Bah Humbug to, um, you know, God bless us, everyone. So I, I find that, you know, there's a little bit more of a journey when we see those interactions that we get. That's a great point. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's what I like in a guest. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. 
So let's 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 jump into this first bit. There's there's the first bit's really quick. We just we see Frank. He's getting out of a cab. He's on his way back to the office from um, where we left off yesterday. He was getting a humanitarian award, and he was going on about how much the award means to him. And then he leaves the award, the physical award itself, in the back of the cab. And again, this is so we're early on. This is still bad, Frank. The insincere Frank. And then, you know, that's kind of a, another indication of what, what kind of character this guy is. And then we see what kind of, I guess, what, what he expects of the people around him. I, I get the feeling that those guards, they don't kind of stand up for everyone who walks in. But this guy has made it clear, oh, you, you stand when I enter the room. Well, this early part of the movie, it, it's clearly setting Frank up to be a bad guy. Right. With all his interactions with people like he leaves the humanitarian of the year award in the cab. He gives the guy a 15 cent tip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did, did, did either of you calculate that to percentage? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I did not calculate got, it as a percent. I got about about three oh, percent. That's terrible. <laughs> that's yeah. I knew it wasn't good. You don't need. Yeah. So all this is set setting Frank up to be the bad guy. Right. Because he has right. he has to has this have this grand uh, fall before he can rise up. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, yeah. So I'm, it's loud and clear. We get it. <laughs> we get it. We and get I, it. I even went back uh, for the award and got the quote that, that he says, I'm always going to cherish this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there it goes. Uncherished. Yeah. Just that extra little turn on him and just seeing him leave it in the cab would be bad enough. But the fact that, yeah, he just, yeah, just about a minute ago, he said, uh, "Yeah, I'll always cherish this." And then uh, he's not cherishing. You know, he's he's a he's a weird bad guy to me because your your typical bad guy uh, is just bad to the bone, like you know, hard hard attitude towards everybody, which Frank has, but he does it in a like a joking kind of way. I want to say, mm. like when the, when yeah. the guys you know say hello, Mister Cross, and he kind of just gives them that. That's that smile before he goes to the elevator. It's I don't know, like a I don't know, like a true bad person wouldn't smile. They just look at him hard and then be on their way. I mean, his smile isn't inviting by yeah. any means. <laughs> well, I don't. I, I didn't get the feeling it's a sincere smile, but I don't right. think he. It's one of those things. It's like uh, you know, cheaters think everyone's cheating, or liars are always distrustful because they think everyone's lying. Mm-hmm. He's disingenuous, so he's just assuming when they any sign of respect that they're showing. Because he's hey, he's the youngest president in the history of television. <clears throat> there, you know, he is sort of he is a bigwig, or you know, he's a mover and a shaker in this company. Mm-hmm. So there may be some, uh, you know, some sincerity in that they wanna make a good impression and show respect to, to this guy. Um, but he just, he doesn't, um, he doesn't value their respect. He doesn't see, I don't, I'm guessing he doesn't see any sincerity in this show or respect that they're showing him, but that's just a reflection of, well, he, cause he doesn't, there's no sincerity in any respect that he shows to, you know, to his boss or anyone else. Right. Right. That's true. How do you guys feel about the uh, the white scarf with the black tux and the overcoat? I, I you know what I, I actually like it. I think it's a nice look. It is. I am also a fan. Yeah. I, I think it's a real sharp look. You know, it's 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 traditional, and this is uh, 
Wow, this is thir- you know thirty years ago. This came out in '88, and so we've seen. Well, if you if you watch award shows, you, you know where the or situations where uh, where men wear tuxedos. Certainly, there's a lot more going on uh, fashion wise these days than just the the pla- the straight black. But um, I'm I'm a kind of I'm a traditionalist when it comes to men's formal wear. Um, yeah, so I like it, and I also like he's wearing the correct collar. Um, a lot of times you'll see um, men in you know with a tuxedo and a bow tie they wear that I think it's a wingtip collar that little collar that kind of flips up but that's really a traditionally that's more appropriate for a white tie um, for a black tie you you should wear a gentleman should just wear the traditional down um, you know down collar. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's got he's got the right shirt, he's got the right tie. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and and hope that that's a real bow tie that he's actually tied. You know, not a clip on or anything of that sort. Right, I'm sure, I'm sure. But yeah, they just you know, black tie, black jacket, white silk scarf. You can't go wrong. It's it's the, it's the classic. Yeah, looks very sharp. <laughs> and, and he's definitely not. You know, for this for the season, the holiday season, he's not the type, though, uh, as we know, I think, from the <laughs> the classic character of mm-hmm. uh, Scrooge, uh, mm-hmm. not the type that would put uh, some uh, red or green or any other <laughs> primary or secondary color. Yeah, right? Yeah, true. I mean, it, it probably makes, it wouldn't be too <laughs> it wouldn't be too out of place for yeah, uh, you know, some holly or something. Yeah, a green and red tie, but. Um, yeah, I mean, he wouldn't even wish his own brother a Merry Christmas. He he jumped right to Happy New Year. So he's he's not getting into the spirit of the season at all. Uh, you have to do that with that Chicago accent. I want you to have a Happy New Year. The Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so follow. So you know, uh, Frank Cross ducks into the elevator, heading on up to his office. We get a quick scene with Grace, um, his assistant, and her mm-hmm. son on the on the on the. I guess returning from uh, doctor's visit, and we'll we'll get more of Grace and her family later, and we can we can talk about her son and 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 all that stuff. But what I want to note about this part is um, the stop where we see them walking off the train, mm-hmm. and we see the sign. It's I don't actually don't have the note here, but this oh here we go. It's forty fifth forty five Road, Courthouse Square Station. So this is at. Uh, 45th Road and 23rd Street in Long Island City, which is, uh, I found that interesting because this is where the recently announced Amazon headquarters, one of the two new headquarters that Amazon recently announced will be in Long Island City, no uh, New York, in, in Queens, not far from uh, from this very train stop. Um, yeah, I, I got the same note on, on the, uh, it's the flushing line of the uh, mm-hmm. MTA subway system. Uh, yeah, the the seven train. Yeah, first opened in 1916, uh, and I see like the northern end of the station has a lovely view of the Manhattan skyline. Mm-hmm. There, there was a whole like Wikipedia page about the like this the courthouse square uh, section of the subway system. Uh, so I I didn't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole because I didn't think <laughs> you know it really was interesting or pertained to uh, to the movie. So just a quick note there. Yeah, so I'll just note if, if folks want to learn more about this particular subway station or this neighborhood, um, they can pop on over to Wikipedia. Yeah, so this is not – this wouldn't be far from the East River. So you would get some nice views of, of Manhattan. You know, at, at this time 30 years ago, this would kind of be 
um, a less desirable neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, people like Frank Cross would want to be in in Manhattan and uh, kind of the hipsters hadn't taken over Brooklyn and all these areas <laughs> that are right across the river. Um, yeah, ar- around this time, and they called it the bridge and tunnel crowd, um, which primarily would, would, would reference people coming from New Jersey or further out in Long Island. I mean, this technically is a part of New York City, but it's not Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, one of the less desirable areas, but it's certainly... It's become more desirable, you know, in the the year since, and then with Amazon moving into the neighborhood, uh, rents are going to go up quite a bit. Sure, it's also uh, kind of a a little look inside to to where his overworked and underpaid employee is living. Mm-hmm. You know, the conditions she's living in with her family. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone take a look to to get an idea of how long the train ride is if she's going into Manhattan from? Uh, from this train station? I started to look that up, and then I got sidetracked, so I didn't complete <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, I didn't look either. Actually, it, it shouldn't be too long because, as I said, this is right across the East River. This isn't, um, this isn't too far into, into Queens, mm-hmm. so hopefully her ride to work every day isn't, isn't too bad. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Her, uh, so we, we get that her son doesn't speak, right? She right. That's kind of all uh, exposition here about the doctor, and mm-hmm. so she, she when she kneels down next to him, she whispers something to him, and I could not get that. Did you hear? Did yeah, you, no, I wasn't able to pick that up either. Well, I was able to get the script though. Okay. Um. So what part is um? As they're coming down, he's talking about the medical genius. Mm-hmm. I'm your mother. I know mm-hmm. you don't speak yet. We'll show him, honey. You're gonna surprise a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are. You start talking, then go to law school and sue his butt off. Maybe we'll show more him. Than that? <laughs> no, I think maybe it was that we'll show him, honey, because it was right before the law school comment. Yeah. Okay. So it was nothing. <laughs> nothing of interest. Would help if I brought up the minute, right? Yeah, actually, the script that I have doesn't have any, um, dialogue? any dialogue for this section. It just says Grace and Calvin, Grace's five year old son, descend the stairs from an elevated. Uh, elevated train, I guess that's missing. Just says from the elevated and heads towards their street. Mm. Grace and Calvin walk hand in hand towards their graffiti scarred project. They go inside and head up the stairs. So that's not going to help. No. Hmm. Yeah, it is. We'll show them, honey. All right. It <laughs> was we'll a lot them, of honey. a lot of work for nothing. <laughs> I just watched that part, and uh, yeah, we'll show them, honey. All right. Right, now yeah, just before she says you're going to surprise home. a lot of people, she kind of whispers, yeah, she's whispering, you'll show them, honey. Yeah. Okay. Is that it? All right. We'll show them, honey. Oh, me? Were you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> you're right, yes, Dad. You are. We are going to show them. We are going to show them. Um, so we we flash back to to Frank in his office where he's fixing himself a drink. And I like this. We saw We saw Grace fixing him a drink. In the first section of the movie, where she um, she mixes it's Stoli and Tab, it's vodka and, and diet soda that he drinks, and she kind of gave it gave it a liberal splash of of Tab, mm-hmm. and he barely colors the drink. He he, he all but takes out an eyedropper <laughs> <laughs> to just give it a, a drop of Tab, just a little bit of color, but and but not much. It happens worse throughout the movie. It's like the the farther he goes, the the ratio is is farther farther <laughs> off. It's more stoly and less Tab. He actually finishes um, the bottle. 
by the by the last ghost. <laughs> by the end, yeah, yeah, that'd be appropriate. Um, oh, I do want to mention. I, I forgot to bring this up. Uh, last episode, the the script, and I don't know if this is if you guys have heard of this. If this is like a, a standard thing, I hadn't heard it before. Um, but in the script, they actually give this a name. This drink, it's 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 Stoli and Tab. They call it a stab. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I thought I, I don't know. Like I don't know if I feel comfortable walking into a bar and ordering a stab. But yeah, you know, they've 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 given this this drink its own name. I, I just never thought that uh, like a cola was a good mixer with vodka. Am I wrong about that? Yeah. I you know I've never tried it. I don't know if I've ever heard of it. I know I've heard of like like rum and Coca Cola. Yeah. yeah, or Jack and but, Coke. Yeah. Hmm. Jack and Coke, although Jack is better with root beer, I find. I'll do a Jack and root That's beer. That's funny that you but, mentioned uh, yeah. that because my one of my favorite go-tos is uh, like either Jameson or, well, Jameson when I'm feeling, uh, uh, you know, uh, expensive, when I'm feeling high rolling. Uh, but usually it's Bushmills and uh, root beer, mm-hmm. like a whiskey oh. and root beer. And, and I, I am a fan, big fan of that. That's I'll have to try that. I don't think I – I haven't tried root beer with anything other than Jack Daniels, but – if that works, why not? Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, Bushmills sure does. Uh, you know the the knock. Uh, he hears the knock, and he's still making his drink. And he he goes, "Come." That's one of my <laughs> my go tos. Anytime, yeah. like one, you know, my son's kid comes and knocks on the door, and I go, "Come, <laughs> come." <laughs> it's it's yeah. one of those things that worked its way into my everyday vernacular. Yeah. Oh, and I'm sure it's one of those things that nobody gets. Nobody knows that it's a, oh, it's a no, lie. Oh, no, no, totally. <laughs> a very small percentage of the people out there would know that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, with, with that banging on the door and then soon becomes rattling and shaking and, and dust and bits of debris coming down mm-hmm. as the door gets banged in, we get into the, the supernatural mm-hmm. portion of uh, this movie. We're in for... Uh, for ghost number one, did you see Frank is is calling for Grace and then reaching for? Uh, well, he opens a drawer and he's reaching for a gun. Right. But I find it interesting. So we just saw he's got a, like a full bar set up <laughs> yeah. on one side of his office, and then he's got like the extra bottle. <laughs> it's a backup. <laughs> the I guess the backup for when he doesn't you know he doesn't have the energy to walk across the room. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> When he runs out, it's it's a handy dandy right there. Uh, there's also a copy of Scrooge, and, right? Uh, yeah, you saw that? Yeah. So night, yeah, right underneath the, the the revolver is nice with the red copy yeah. Scrooge. I assume I, I assume that's supposed to be the script for the show that he is uh, directing, producing. Yeah, because traditionally it's not called Scrooge, right? Right. But they call it that. They even reference. You know, Charles Dickens Scrooge, they don't, uh, they never say a Christmas carol, which is weird because it's, it's public domain. It's, it came out as a eight, 1834, something like that. So it's, it's old enough that there's no copyright. You can, you can use it and you can call it that, but uh, actually don't use that name at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would almost wonder if they toyed around with, you know, calling this without the D even. And having mm-hmm. it be the na- really named the same as their the production within the this movie, <laughs> right? The the movie within yeah, the movie. Is that, uh, maybe that's too confusing. <laughs> like a little meta mind f. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Ah. Um, so he he goes for the gun, and, and this is he is probably the top floor near the top floor. He's way up in this in this building. There's 24 hour security in the lobby. Who's coming in here? Other than I mean, we know he's going to have some some unexpected visitors, and they're the type of visitors where yes, they can get by security and get into his office, but they're also the type of visitors that this gun is going to do nothing. Right. <laughs> it seems like like does he really need this gun? Like anyone that the gun would be effective against wouldn't be able to get into the office. Uh, <laughs> I just I'm thinking about the sound effects <laughs> as he's unloading. <laughs> As he's unloading. Well, let's, yeah, so let, let's get to that. I, and I did a little research um, on this this particular firearm. This is a Smith & Wesson Model 60. Mm-hmm. It's a 38 Special. It takes five rounds. It is a revolver. The first recorded appearance that I could find in, in a movie, uh, this revolver was in The Last House on the Left in 1972. And the most notable appearance that I found is this is the gun that Karen pulls on Henry in Goodfellas huh. when he's uh, when he's sleeping and he wakes up and, and Karen is, is on top of him. kneeling over him holding a gun in his face. Do you love her? <laughs> Sorry. I gotta come home <laughs> for this. <to> this. <laughs> now that that's a line that I use uh, way too often. I gotta I got come home. I gotta worry about getting whacked on the street. I gotta come home to this. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the, the sound effects, and, and I don't know if you, if you guys picked up, it's tough because it it may be a trick of editing. It cuts back and forth between Frank holding the gun and then um, this ghost that will be introduced to shortly on the receiving end of these shots. I thought I heard six shots, but this is only, a, this revolver only holds five rounds. So is that is that a goof or am I just, did I miscount? I'd say it was a goof. Um, I didn't count. I, uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't count either. But if you counted six, Sean, at, uh, if I learned anything from our <laughs> plane, trains, and automobile days, you counted those f words like like brilliantly. <laughs> so I, I trust your count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the so you, you talk about the you mentioned the sound of the shots, and I'm just going to interject that the the foley, the sound work for this whole sequence is really good and it goes back to when Frank is walking around with the drink when he first hears the knock on the door and he kind of goes to check in the hallway and then he walks back to his desk mm-hmm. I hear the the clinking of the the ice in the glass mm-hmm. then the banging of the door and then the the shots of the gun now when I say sound effects I wasn't referring to the foley I was referring to his uh his own <laughs> <laughs> blam, blam, blam. Bango, bango. Ba-bam. His onomatopoeia. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Blam. But that's one of those things. Like, that's one of those Frank Cross things that is like, I mean, that's, that's obviously it's not a Frank Cross thing. It's a Bill Murray thing. Like, I'm right. sure you covered already how much ad lib he did on this movie. Um, we, we've mentioned it, but I, you know, there's, there's so much ad libbing. It's, it's hard to overestimate or overstate how much of what Bill Murray does is just Bill Murray. Did you get, uh, did you, did you cover, um, Richard Donner's quote on the ad libbing? Uh, no, no. If you have that handy, if you want to. Hold on. 
know if I can find it, but he said he said something like, uh, um, with uh, in regards to Bill Murray's ad libbing, he said directing him is like standing in the middle of Times Square as a traffic cop and the lights are out, the traffic lights are out. <laughs> <laughs> Which I be- yeah. I would believe it. I I I believe it. I believe it. I lost my place. Yeah. So it, we did. You know, we and we we did mention um, the last episode how this is uh, really Bill Murray's first movie back, uh, aside from a short cameo in Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's back from a four year break of acting, mm-hmm. and he's really. Um, He's he's working it out, you know. He's he's doing his own thing. He's being himself, and I I think he's enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I would say so. But yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah, he's nailing yeah. it. And <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that's not in the script. At least the version of the script I have, the the bland. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's kind of like the. Maybe it's similar to like sometimes gangsters in movies. They'll like hold the gun sideways and stuff like that to kind of look you know more menacing. I don't know if that's like it. Does, you know, the bullet does more. Like the car yeah. goes faster if it's got racing stripes, kind of oh, yeah. thing. Like, does it do do more damage if you're like you put a little like audio oomph right. behind each shot? <laughs> I mean, I would believe it. <laughs> he he hits him with what all five or six shots, right? He he does hit them, yeah. It does look like they all hit, mm-hmm. which is impressive. Um, I also read somewhere I, here. Now we got the you know a golf ball here. We're going to see a golf ball in a couple of minutes. That mm-hmm. uh, that that was an intentional nod to his character in Caddyshack. I don't know how much I believe that. Hmm. Yeah, I I, well, I read that too, and I, uh, maybe it's it's just make going ahead and making. This can we can we go ahead and say that it's his boss is <laughs> right okay yeah, oh, yeah. That, oh. that died on the golf course as he as he explains yeah yeah <laughs> so right yeah his, his old boss that, that whole Hayward. idea could have been a nod yeah, maybe. yeah I guess so I guess so. you could have yeah they could have had him yeah you know the boss could have died anywhere mm-hmm. but like, how, we'll put how, him on the, what, the golf what, course what, how, what are we gonna how are we gonna dress him <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah, not that he was buried there on the golf course or immediately after dying, but <laughs> he was a worm feast. <laughs> Shouldn't he be in a normal yeah. suit? <laughs> in the casket, in the casket. I guess, but this, but this is all. That, that's the whole idea of this being all supernatural and kind of also in a way in his head as well. That we'll find out, mm-hmm. and and that that goes to I think what you're what you're talking about with the five or six shots. It doesn't need to be yeah. limited, mm-hmm. and that at that, that point. It's all in right. his head anyway. Hmm. Right? Or is it? He could keep firing, wow. right? He wakes up and the door's not all busted open and <laughs> all this debris isn't there. <laughs> I'm sure you guys picked up on the old comedy gag about the bullet holes and then he takes a drink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <a> cartoon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's... Very cartoonish. That's prob- that, that gag probably, like, within minutes of the first, you know, the invention of the firearm... Immediately followed by the gag of the guy getting shot and then taking a drink. <laughs> yeah, in the uh, yeah, I mean they they really didn't do much to cover it up. I mean it's it's right front and center. Yeah, yeah. that old gag. Let's see, one, two, three, four. Yeah, it looks like he's got five spigots going. <laughs> okay, well there you go. Well, you should, and technically he should have double. One in the front and the yeah. back. Well, and he's <laughs> oh yeah, because those are coming out I mean, the front, right? And he shot him in the back. 
Yeah, he well, yeah, he's yeah. he. I guess yeah, the bullet. I get you know a, a decaying corpse wouldn't put up much resistance. The bullet would <laughs> go right would, would go through. Oh, we gotta get Mythbusters Mythbusters on this. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. another great line. You get the. Um, uh, I don't, I don't mind you shooting me, Frank, but take it easy on the Bacardi. <sighs> you mentioned rum and coke before, and yeah, Bacardi. I had a very, very bad evening with uh, rum and cokes one night, so just the thought of that makes makes my stomach turn. Yeah, was it one of those nights where now you cannot drink that ever again? I can't drink rum anymore, no, that's correct. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, there they are. Yeah, five spigots. Yeah. But he shot them so in the this back, is... so yeah, there should be double. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so this, this is old boss, uh, Lee Hayward, and he Lou. gives him the... Um, yeah. Lou? Lou Hayward. L-E-W, short for Lewis. Oh, Lou. Okay. Right. Not not L-O-U. No. Right. Lou. L-E-W. Well. Played by J- John Forsyth. Oh, yeah. Forsyth. So this, yeah, John, John Forsyth. So what do you guys do? What do you guys know about John Forsyth? What jumps out in your head when, Charlie. You, when you hear that name? Well, one, th- exactly. one thing in particular, Sean, Penns Grove, New Jersey. <laughs> there you go. Jersey Zone. Yeah. John Forsyth. Yeah, the voice of Charlie. In Charlie's Angels for TV and the movies, mm-hmm. those Charlie's Angels movies. So we never saw him, but uh, but we heard his voice, and of course um, Bill Murray appearing in the the Bill the uh, the Charlie's Angels movies. Well, you- um, also a, a longtime uh, actor on Dynasty as well. Yeah, so uh, got a, a good career. So you didn't see him in Charlie's Angels, but you saw him in every episode of Dynasty. Who I think I read yes. he was the only character to, to appear in every episode of Dynasty. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Dynasty, one of those shows I never, I never watched. I like, I honestly, I, I don't think I, I, I saw a single episode mm-hmm. of, of Dynasty, but it was you know, probably on my, well, yeah, my entire childhood. Um, they were different than the regular, yeah. the regular daytime soaps, right? Because wasn't that like a primetime one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dynasty, Falcon Crest. Yeah, there were a few, yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I never got into, uh, I was more into the, uh, cartoons and oh, yeah. superheroes and action type oh, stuff. Absolutely, and I was probably watching Knight Rider and, and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. while this was while Dynasty was going on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Blake Blake Carrington in uh, two hundred and seventeen episodes. There you go. Yeah. And there were even uh, you know like kind of like the funny versions of it with uh, soap. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but then even before that, and I actually just listened to today the uh, Mark Maron's WTF episode um, with. Um, Oh yeah, Martin Mull. Um, he was uh, explaining. Oh, um, he was on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which I've never seen that. I've seen some soap, but uh, and apparently, apparently, you know, it was like I think it was a Norman Lear show uh, mm-hmm. from you know, all yeah. the family. And uh, apparently, his Martin Martin Mull's character died, and then he went to Lear with the idea, well, can we have a twin brother? <laughs> and be on, and that's that's how. Then he spun off into a talk show, the Fernwood Tonight. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't realize and that's, that's I, how he met up with um, what's his name. Also from the from the uh, oh, Fred Willard documentaries. Say it again, uh, Fred Willard. Fred Willard, right? Right, Willard. Yeah. Okay. Huh. That's, that's I didn't I didn't realize Fernwood Tonight was a spinoff from. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we're we're learning stuff here. <laughs> yeah. So the only other thing about John Forsyth would I would I would throw in is I mean it seemed like it was very big and I actually uh, ran it by family at uh, recently at Thanksgiving, uh, Bachelor Father was was a uh, very big and 
and they knew they knew that name. My older aunts and uncles and mm-hmm. mom. Oh yeah, bach- Bachelor Father. Sitcom from the from the late fifties. <sighs> Never heard that one. <laughs> yeah, neither have I. No, but I'm I sure neither. <laughs> but it had apparently it had uh, a lot of great guest stars like uh, Mary Tyler Moore, Barbara Eden. Mm. So we get another one of the little um, adaptations or, or divergences from from the original. We get the um, the blaming the vision on something you ate or in this case you something you drank. So it, it, it's you know in in the original Scrooge thinks he might you know he might be a, it might be some stomach disorder that's causing him to imagine that his his dead business partner's returned and. Um, the little, the little bit he has is, um, you may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more gravy of grave about you, whatever you are. Um, and that's, that's uh, uh, you know, that's one of those great turns of phrase. I'm not, I'm not a huge Dickens fan, but every once in a while he really hits it. And that the, there's more, there's more of gravy than grave about you is, is a great line. Um, but in, <laughs> in this case, Frank Cross blames it on, um, alcohol, Russian vodka, poisoned by Chernobyl. <laughs> and uh, for, for the folks that are familiar with this reference, um, uh, Chernobyl was the location of, um, it's in the Ukraine, but at the time, uh, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, um, so associated with Russia. And Chernobyl was a nuclear power plant that had, um, they were doing a, a routine test that went very wrong and melted down a lot of, Radiation. There was a, a fire that burned for a while. A lot of re- radiation was released. A bunch of people died, and um, apparently, it poisoned some vodka as well <laughs> that made its way into uh, into Frank's uh, liquor cabinet there. Um, and th- and that disaster was actually in 1986. So, uh, so so one of the more relevant references in this movie, we're talking about some of the stuff we talked about on day one, is how. Um, all, like a lot of the actors that they've gotten for their big Christmas Eve lineup are all folks that are really out of date. Like, uh, you know, Jamie Farr um, or, you know, Buddy Hackett at this point, you know, late 80s, Buddy Hackett wasn't exactly, um, <laughs> you know, burning up the charts or Jamie Farr. And then uh, Mary Lou Retton as uh as Tiny Tim would have been four years removed from her gold medal in the Olympics, so not exactly the the, the freshest face. But uh, this is only two years old, the, the Chernobyl disaster. So I guess I don't know how the how long it takes for Russian vodka to make its way um, to the U.S. So I suppose there there still could be some poison vodka in the pipeline. So uh, so now we're really getting into uh, to the meat of the movie, as it were. We we kick things off. And, uh, you know, Hayward is back to, you know, let Frank know that he's he's on the wrong path. Mm. Yeah. So what, what, what do you think about this guy, Lou, Lou Hayward? Uh, I think he uh, he embellishes on himself just a little bit. Captain of industry, industry feared by men, adored by women. <laughs> I love I love yeah. Frank's response to that. Right. He calls him out on it. <laughs> adored. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. uh, so you, you, pay, you paid the women. Yeah, he, he accused Lou, his boss, of being uh, uh, dabbling in prostitutes. Is, is that what he's saying? You paid for the women. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I could see it not being exactly 
prostitution, but rather, you know, just really utilizing, oh. you know, using his money and, ah, and putting in putting it in front of women as as a reason to be with him. Of course, they, my you know, sick brain. Things and... <laughs> I have to go right to prostitution. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I, it, it could be that too, but I think I think there's an option. A bit of both. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's necessarily, uh, you know, that much worse than just taking advantage no. of your position, knowing as a, you know, sort of a wealthy executive. And I imagine, um, I, I, I don't imagine that Frank is above that as well, of using his position, um, someone who's trying to get into, you know, trying to get into television, either mm-hmm. as a, you know, producer, director, or actress. Um, someone in Frank's position would be able to help someone like that out, and I, I doubt he's above. You know, using his position in that way. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I also got the feeling, you know, not knowing what the movie, you know, is about and turns out to be, like these jokes early on, kind of like um, Frank Frank's attitude towards his boss, uh, makes you think that like the stakes aren't really that high mm-hmm. until until Luce like flips the switch in a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, when he gets serious, then Frank and I guess the audience is supposed to say, "Oh God, this guy isn't playing around." Yeah, yeah, and I think that's another way in which this movie improves upon the original Dickens tale a little bit mm-hmm. um, to 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 get that turn. Because if you really thought, if you really thought, oh, this is you know, this guy's dead, he's obviously not in my office, I'm obviously dreaming. Mm-hmm. Then uh, you know, I imagine you, this is not something that Frank would say while while Lou was alive. Right, right. You know, right. he's 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 a a, a kiss up kind of guy. He's not going to be insulting his boss, you know, with with that line about you know you, you know. Let's be honest, you paid the women, <laughs> or you paid for the women. Like I have a feeling he that's not something he would say. You know, if he thought this was the real Hayward, or if Hayward were alive, he wouldn't say that. So he's he is kind of kidding around, and then um, then the sudden turn, and and maybe that's necessary for modern audiences. Would the um, you know, I don't. I'm. I'm not that familiar with um, 19th century literature. I'm just going to guess that uh, you know a, a 1980s audience is more mm. familiar seeing zombies and ghosts and, and that sort of thing than uh, than the reader was back in Dickens' time. Hmm. So that maybe you know maybe then it was enough just to have you know Marley appear was kind of frightening or, or mm. jarring enough. Where these days you gotta yeah the first appearance might you might take as a joke, but then. Uh, then he's got to kind of he get he gets violent. He puts hands on uh, on Frank here. <laughs> he goes hands on, and also the the classic isn't uh, isn't inherently funny. <laughs> I'll go on, <laughs> out on the limb and say that. Right. Right. Uh, so so turning that into a comedy movie has got to be really touchy too, right? Because you're taking this classic, this this widely renowned story. Not that you're you're making fun of it, because I I think they really do the the story justice. Mm-hmm. But you make it funny, and that's—I I don't know. Like, the, do the purists think like you, you shouldn't be treating a, a classic this way? You know, actually, that's interesting. I haven't—I haven't, I haven't uh, read or tracked down any sort of um, analysis on like a, a level of literature, kind of comparing it to the you know the original. I know it certainly has—you know—it has its fan. It has some good reviews. It's a—it's a well-regarded, well-regarded uh, movie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know, doing a little bit of research on on the director Richard Donner, that he was he was hesitant at first, mm-hmm. you know, to, to to turn this into a comedy, and uh, and it, it took a little bit of convincing. And even uh, Bill Murray was was skeptical as well. Apparently, he um, he he made a lot of changes to the script in addition to the. <laughs> The generous amount of ad libbing that he did on the set, that even before then he did a lot of work and there were a lot of revisions to the script to kinda yeah, to 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 take a story that has no humor at all. It's very straight in, in its origins, um, and, and turn it into a comedy of this sort. Yeah. Well what I saw was that that he mostly was interested he mostly added to to what we get, um, the romance romance stuff. Mm-hmm. So I almost wonder if that also, in a sense, was what gave us the what you were talking about earlier the 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 stuff between the ghosts that the original right. versions uh, and other versions don't have. You know, because that's because that's what's that's mostly really made of in a sense. I think. And yeah, back, yeah. So yeah, I, with her. yeah. You're right. A lot of a lot of those scenes in between the spirits are him are his interactions with. With Claire, so that would make sense that to yeah that those would be um, those are sort of the largest departures from um, yeah from the old because I'm trying to think um, I've been rereading and kind of going through the you know a Christmas Carol in, in preparation and I know in the um, kind of jumping ahead into the 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 spirit of Christmas Pass when they show uh, they show the, a young Scrooge with a with a lady um, mm-hmm. that he was sort of sweet on, but then he eventually decides to, you know, put his attentions elsewhere. And I don't think she, she doesn't return. There's no, there's no follow up between them in, right. in the present, certainly not in the future. Right. Right. Um, so that's a change. Yeah. There's no reuniting. So yeah, that's a departure also. Back just real quick. You know, there's the, you know, let's be honest, Lou, you paid for the women. You know, but then a couple lines later, you know, he, he, so there he's talking kind of down to Lou, to what Lou just said, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but then just a moment later is the one big kind of, you know, talking up to Lou, which is that you're a legend in this business. You invented the miniseries, you know, <laughs> which, which I mean, oh, my God, was huge in the 80s. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, was there, it there ever. was Stephen King stuff, but there was a ton of others, too. I know my first name is Stephen. You guys remember that one? What's that one? I know my first name is Steven. No. Is, is that the title? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Is that like someone, is that like uh, someone gets amnesia? It was a miniseries. No, a kid gets kidnapped. Oh. And, and oh, his, right. And his kidnapper changes his name oh. to Dennis. And he raises, he's, he raises this kid. I think it's like 10 years. He, yeah. he raises this kid as his own, changes his name. But when the kid escapes, he finds his, his uh, old family again. And I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was a cop or somebody but said, I know he tells him, I know your first name is Steven, but that was, that was the title of the miniseries. Oh man. That was, that was a classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of the, the forerunner for, you know, the, 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 what, what, what we see in, uh, some of the streaming services like, uh, Netflix and Amazon, they come out with a show and they do like a a, a ten episode season. Mm-hmm. It used to be, yeah, they'd have these oh, mini series. Yeah. It'd be like five nights, you know, two hours a night. Yeah, basically the equivalent of of ten hour episodes. But yeah, 
(laughs) usually like the two or three or four nights in a row but sometimes interestingly like there'd be like one night off in the middle or something right no. let's, let's skip this night this this night is a go out to yeah. dinner night for give people time to regroup yeah. I guess. yeah yeah <laughs> the mini series i mean, binging yeah. then i mean if this keep, guy really if this keep, guy really invented the miniseries he'd be a big deal right yeah that is a big deal but he comes back with another classic uh like another nod to the original like as close to like a paraphrase of the original line it says, mankind should have been my business. Charity, mercy, kindness, that should have been my business. Yeah. Do you, do you have the original quote there, Sean? Because mm-hmm. I... Um, uh, yeah, I have the, the original. So uh, what Scrooge says is, but you are always a good man of business, Jacob. And the reply is, business? Cried the ghost, wringing his hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Yeah, so they, they kind of cut it down here. What is it? It's just the mankind should have been my business. Charity, mercy, kindness. That this should have been my business. Yeah. And he, uh, I guess similarly, uh, I believe that Marley's ghost too was, was getting, um, losing patience and he was raising his voice mm-hmm. at that time too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I could kind of see there's a little bit where um, we see the transition because it starts where he just, I'm dreaming, this isn't happening, he's joking. And then it's, okay, this is real, I'm kind of freaked out. And then it's, oh, I'm just, I'm talking with my old boss, my old business partner. And you start to get a little bit casual. And that's where the ghost starts to get upset. You know, right. that you're, you know, we, we don't, we, we're not falling back into our old pattern or old relationship of, of partners or boss and some, you know, I'm, I'm a ghost. You're supposed to be taking this more seriously than you are. Well, at least starts <laughs> seriously in a minute or so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, oh, well, this is where he drops the, uh, you're going to be visited by three ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get three ghosts. Uh, the first coming at noon tomorrow. And the interesting thing here is that Frank doesn't really flinch the ghosts, but mm-hmm. it's that the time that yeah <laughs> that, Lou, that Lou says tomorrow at noon. It's more casual Frank Cross. Like, oh, can't do that. Yeah, tomorrow's bad for me. Uh, you know, like oh, my schedule's jammed. I can't. I can't squeeze you in. <laughs> yes. How about yeah. Thursday? You and me, the ghost, Trader Vicks, around four. Trader Vicks, anyone? Uh, this yeah. It's kind of the name rings a bell. It's the only thing I know that I think isn't that what's in um, Werewolf of London? Ooh, I don't know. It's mentioned in that song. <laughs> oh it? yeah, yeah. Is it? I'm pretty sure. <sighs> Apparently, it was like a very popular tiki bar in Midtown Manhattan, like a Hawaiian Polynesian kind of restaurant place. Uh, and the guy that that opened it uh, was credited mm-hmm. with inventing the mai tai, another rum based drink <laughs> that I wouldn't touch these days. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> My time. Well, right. guess who purchased it in the early 90s and closed it up because it was tacky? Our uh, our, our commander-in-chief oh. himself, Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> really? There was something tacky that he didn't like. Imagine that. I find that yeah, hard uh, to uh, Werewolves of London, um, the, the lyric is, the full line is, I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's. Oh, there you go. And there his hair go. was perfect. His hair was perfect. Okay. All right. The great Warren Zevon. Well, pop culture references to Trader Vic's, which is no longer a thing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So yeah, we get the expect the first one tomorrow at noon. Um, the the original appointment time time of appointment for that spirit is when the bell tolls one, oh. in reference to one a.m. Right. Um, so another another change we're getting our we're getting our spirits in the daytime versus the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if that's. Uh, I wonder if that's also that that's also part of the change, so they can have these, the uh, the interghost scenes or the scenes between spirits with Frank. Whereas uh, in, you know in the original, all happens over the course of a single evening between right. uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas. Yeah, it wouldn't stand a reason that he'd be working and interacting with people in the middle of the night. So, yeah, I would say a daytime makes sense. Yeah, because the, so the show, the yeah. the, the screw show, is going off that evening, right? So so this all happens between noon and that night when when the the Scrooge show is live, right? Am I wrong about that? You know, I've I've never I've never been able to nail down an exact timeline. We know it ends on Christmas Eve because the live broadcast is going on. At this point, is it? I'm not sure. Is this you know? Is this Christmas Eve Eve? You know, is this the, the night of December 23rd? Um, I'm not sure because we've we've seen. Uh, yeah, it must be because okay. we're we're going to see the change in day in this in this block of minutes here, right? Because uh, after the uh, the evening at the the Cooley's house, mm-hmm. don't don't we go back to the the office the next day oh. when we find out that the lady um, had passed away. Right. And you know what? I, yeah. Now that you mentioned, I just, uh, yeah. So when we see he's, uh, Frank Cross is reading the newspaper the following day and the date on the paper is December 23rd. So my guess is that right now when he first sees Hayward, that this is the 22nd. Okay. And it's going to be the 23rd is the day when he sees the first, the first Christmas spirit. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Hayward dangles Frank Cross out out the window. He he passes him right through the glass of the high rise, and his arm breaks. Hayward's arm just snaps. Frank falls perilously, screaming to the the street below, and then suddenly awakens. He's he's in a chair in his office. He's in one piece, and the phone is uh, being dialed by un- some unseen force. Mm-hmm. And then we hear uh, we hear a voice, uh, I guess, a, an answering machine message from Claire Phillips, mm-hmm. uh, someone Frank's going to be kind of sweet on. I like when he, he, <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to step on. No, that. no, you go ahead. Uh, when he says, "I know it's been," he looks at his watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fifteen years <laughs> since we last. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> Another great line. Uh, look at the watch. Like it's been hours. Yeah, I, I pull that type of thing as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. It's classy. That's a classic. It's better if you're not wearing a watch. Oh yeah, then you get to use the. Oh, it's freckle past the hair. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't give him the uh, when he gives a callback number. Not the typical five 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 number that they give. Yeah, him. have either you did, have you tried to call the number that he does give? I, nowadays you have to put an area code in anyway, so where do you begin? Yeah. Is one you of them. wouldn't get anything. Yeah. yeah. And then uh this is one of the things that I read as supposedly a nod to to Caddyshack, but I I'm I'm, I'm skeptical is that mm-hmm. the 
Um, the golf ball. So, you know, you know, Frank is, he's back in his office. Everything's back together. Um, he may have been dreaming. And then suddenly a golf ball appears from his mouth. And, and strangely, he, he drops it and it bounces, returns to the same height <laughs> yeah. and continues to bounce several times. And each time, you know, it should be, you know, losing energy and, and mm-hmm. petering out, but it continues to bounce. It's a supernatural golf ball. Supernatural golf. And each time it gets to his eye line, he like glances over at it. <laughs> I don't know why I find it so funny. It's yeah. you know, that kills me. Yeah. So mm. then we uh we cut to uh to this apartment in in Queens. Cooley. Somewhere in Long Island City, presumably. It's uh Frank Cross's assistant Grace and she's drying her hair mm-hmm. with her Christmas bonus. And and one of the first things I note is that one, it just as far as a bonus goes, a towel is not is not is not a great gift. But I don't even think this is a particularly good towel. It's got this big shiny IBC logo yeah. on it yeah. that looks like it does. You know, that's completely non-absorbent. Yeah. <laughs> that's not. It does not look like towel material. That's, that's and you know it's just going to flake off in the, in the uh-huh. wash. Yeah, <laughs> that's not going to age well. It. This is this is a display towel. This is not a towel that's meant to be used. Right, but. right, right. <laughs> She's like, you know what? If if all you're giving me is a towel, I might as well make the most of it. Didn't you give her a towel and a face cloth? Where the where's and the, the face? face cloth? Yeah. <laughs> he was feeling generous. Yeah, <laughs> throw in the face cloth. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so so Grace is the Bob Cratchit character, right? And Calvin is telling right. Tim. Right, right. I don't yeah. know if that was already uh, uh, explained. Um, no, I don't think we, we we explicitly called that out. But yeah, so she's she's the Bob Cratchit, and and something I didn't realize or or I didn't remember until my recent rereading, um, and then another way that this departs from from the Dickens original that in the opening scenes, no one is named except for Scrooge himself. So the, the family member in the original, it's a nephew, uh, the, the one that visits Scrooge in the office. It's a nephew, not his brother, but he's referred to entirely as nephew. And we don't learn his name mm. until we visit him. I think it's the, the ghost of Christmas present when we see the nephew and his family. And that's the first time, uh, if I remember correctly, his name is Fred in, in, the, mm. in the book or in the story. Right. But uh, in, the, in the opening scenes, the opening section, he's referred entirely to just as nephew. And Bob Cratchit is just the clerk. There's one lone clerk that works uh, in Scrooge's office or works with Scrooge. And he's always just the clerk. And we don't learn his name till we visit. Um, I think he does get a visit. I'm trying to think if it's Christmas past or Christmas present. Well, either way, we don't learn his name until, um, you know, until he gets visited, until Scrooge visits with one of the spirits. Right. Um, you know, in the, in the first section, he's entirely just the clerk. Um, so know, in this I, case, but we, we know Grace's name. So that's, you know, that's I'm, progress, I guess. I'm also getting, uh, you know, they, they have a, a dual Bob Cratchit character. Because isn't Elliot Laddermilk is the other. Mm. Uh, he, yeah, right. Right. So, huh. That's another uh, divergence from, from the original story. Like the tiny Tim is on Grace's uh, in Grace's corner. Right. There's a lot of different things. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, so there's Grace that that is Frank's assistant. There's also yeah Elliot Loudermilk, and then there's Herman, who oh, is yeah. uh, one of the gentlemen at Claire's shelter, mm-hmm. um, who dies. You know, in the original spoiler alert, um, 
<laughs> one of the in, in in one of the visions that the spirits show to Scrooge, Tiny Tim has died. There's you know there's one less uh, seat at the table in the Cratchit mm-hmm. household. Um, so in this case, it's you know young Calvin who doesn't speak. Um, he doesn't die, but he just continues to not speak. Hmm. It's actually uh, Herman who ends up dying. Right. So they do, you know they they take some liberties. They they expand on it a little bit. So we've got you know several characters that kind of fit in for uh, for several other characters, um, and so we we meet some of uh, some of Grace's family, and there's a. <laughs> There's like a, 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 this may be the most tenuous connection yeah. of all the connections I've made. I, I did have this noted. We did talk about this very briefly in the green room and I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. But, yeah. Uh, so no, there's, yeah, so, so our, our, you know, our, our guest Eric is from the, the Watchman Minute and there's a bit of a, a Watchman connection. So I found something that claimed that one of Grace's daughters is being played by Regina King. Not, uh, nope. Regina exactly. King, known for, well, one, uh, was Ron Tidwell's wife in Jerry Maguire, but also Regina King uh, appears in the upcoming The New Watchmen series. Uh-huh. She's a lead in it. Yeah, so she's playing, play, playing Angela. Um, but I say that connection is tenuous because the actress in this case is not Regina King. That bit of trivia was incorrect. Hmm. This, is, this, this actress is, alt, is, is actually... Rihanna King, Rihanna King. It's basically Regina King without, without the G. The G. Yep. <laughs> so it's actually a it's it's a different and they're sisters. They're oh, sisters. are they sisters? Yes. Okay. So there's uh, I didn't and, I didn't realize and, they were and sisters. And both of those first names they both mean essentially the same thing in whatever language. Um, uh, king. Mm-hmm. Or queen, queen or king queen? or royalty of some king, sort. king. So yeah. So they're, basically, they're their both, names are queen, king. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That was the idea, apparently, in their name. Oh, okay. I didn't. That? I didn't realize they were sisters. I just thought they had uh, very similar names. And, and yeah, this Reina or Reina has not done certainly as much as Regina. No, she's Regina she's the- yeah, she's got half a dozen. She's got uh, Reina has got six um, six credits as an actress uh, and a couple producer credits hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, and Regina. Um, has over 50 actress credits between TV and movies and, um, yeah, has done a lot more. So, so there's yeah. another very tenuous Watchmen, to, but but to my Watchmen movie that we're doing. Yeah, um, I love tenuous Watchmen connections, movie. please. Very tenuous because <laughs> there is a scene there where I pointed out uh, that there are some kids that are saved in the tent, in the fire, in the apartment fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of them were brothers or brothers and sisters. Via the last name was, you know, an, a great indication, but I, I'm pretty sure we researched it and found that that really was true. And and so are the two other sisters besides this one daughter, uh, Lanelle, but Shasta and Randy, apparently, Cooley, are apparently pretty much have to be sisters. They're both last name and column. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the uh, the son brother here. He's, he's uh, Murtaugh's son in the Lethal Weapon series. Yeah, so the uh, so there's there's yeah there's there's three girls in this family and there's two sons. The the youngest we've met, Calvin, uh, as we as we've heard, does not speak. Yeah, so the the older brother or the older son here, played by Damon Hines, who uh, yeah probably 
Um, you know, it's quite a, a number of credits, 25 showing up on IMDb, but yeah, probably best known as Nick Murtaugh from the uh, the Lethal Weapon series. Um, so there you go. And also, uh, I don't remember him, but he's they list him as Scooter Lindley from The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, hmm. so there's a connection there as well. Shout out to uh, Five Minutes of Banzai. Did you uh, did you read where the name Calvin Cooley came from? The only thing I thought of is it sounds an awful lot like awful lot like Calvin Coolidge. What I read was it was a nod to Calvin Coolidge because uh, President Coolidge was known as a man of few words. Oh, there you go. Again, I don't know how solid that connection is, but I read it on the internet, so it has to be true, right? <laughs> so it must be true. Must be true. Yeah, some of these, uh, uh, some of these connections are. are I think calling them tenuous is kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll go with it. Sure. Calvin Coolidge, um, a man of few words. There we go. And then the one other character I don't think we talked about was uh, Grandma. Yo, yeah. We haven't talked about Grandma. Mabel King. So <laughs> same last name Another as King. <laughs> Raina and Regina. But as far as I could tell, they aren't related. But King is a lot more common name than McCollum, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I mean, she, she's, she's done a, a, she had done a, a bunch of stuff, Mabel King. I mean, I, I recognized her from The Jerk, where she, <laughs> she plays Steve, Steve Martin's mother. Um, she was also in The Wiz, um, the, the musical version of Wizard of Oz and, um, a ton of other stuff. Yeah. A few, a few Fantasy Island appearances, um, which just meant she was a working actress in, uh, the, <laughs> The late late seventies, early early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, IMDb has her with one appearance on the Gong Show or in the Gong Show movie. Uh, they had a movie. Gong, a movie? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, there was a Gong Show movie. Oh my god. <laughs> not confessions. <laughs> no, no, no. There was yeah. yeah there was the the yeah the um, the autobiography or the the biopic based on Chuck Barris's autobiography. But then yeah, there was an actual Gong Show movie, sort of a. Um, like a behind the scenes, like a day in the life, mm-hmm. kind of half behind the scenes stuff, and then half um, kind of just showing the acts performing and stuff. So, uh, yeah, actually pretty funny. So I don't know if it's available on any streaming services or anything, but uh, worth worth seeking out. <laughs> there, the, the Gong Show movie from uh, from nineteen eighty. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so there's there's commotion in the living room, and uh, and Grace goes out to check and. Uh, the rest of the family has decorated poor young Calvin. <laughs> They've turned him into the Christmas tree. <laughs> he looks really sad. And this is one of those things that, like, it's, you know, she she's upset. She's saying, you know, don't don't plug him in. Don't plug him in. But she can't help from laughing at the same time because he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's having a good time except Calvin. <laughs> except poor Calvin. Uh, I'm sure if he could see himself. He would laugh. Oh yeah! He would see how cute he is. They even have like a little star in his head, like you know, aluminum foil star that they've pinned to. Uh, I bet. Look, ten ten years from then, they were looking at those pictures, and even young Calvin was laughing. Guaranteed. Oh yeah! Someday we'll look back on this and and laugh and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So then we cut from there to uh, well, we see sunlight streaming in the windows. We're back in the offices of Frank Cross, and and again, yeah, everything's back together. All the damage has been um, 
either either never happened or magically undone. Um, we can tell by the the headline on the paper that it's or the dateline it's December twenty third, and uh, that that you know that frightening harrowing TV spot that Frank showed us uh, in the, the first part where he warns us of acid rain and terrorists and oh, and there are all these other things that uh, actually killed somebody. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, and for, they kind of play up. You know, he 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 stoned face. He actually covers his face with his hands. There's a moment where they kind of pretend that we're supposed to think he's going to be upset, but um, this is terrific. (laughs) We're all we're all cynical. I think I don't remember what I thought the first time I saw it, but yeah, these days I know where this is heading. You can't (laughs) buy that kind of publicity. Yeah, and when when uh, when Grace walks in, he's like hiding the paper behind his back, like he's going to present her with this grand surprise. I mean, which in his mind is a good surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like the way I don't. I don't remember. I don't know if I've ever seen a newspaper actually do this. So there's the big headline across the top that says "IBC kills old woman," but then you can see when the text starts, it just says "grief," just five letters, capitals, like in in not not quite the same size as the headline, but much bigger than the the body of the text. You know, it's almost like sometimes in in magazines or in books, like the first letter of a chapter mm-hmm. will be bigger. Usually, it's just the first letter of the first word is sort of bigger than the rest of the the text to come. But in this case, it's just one word that's as like as big as a paragraph on its own. Just grief. Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> the the good old Daily News always. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. Which, uh, as we know, is a. Uh, uh, I, I don't want a tabloid. I'll call it a tabloid. It's, yes, it's um, I've a used, respected member of the media. I've used other words for it before, but I know this is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when when uh when when the uh, the assistant um uh, like starts rubbing his shoulders, he like grabs her hand. Right. Like he's like like he's all turned on by this whole thing, but yes. then they pull away uh, when, uh, when Grace, Grace comes in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I do imagine there's there's been some hanky panky mm-hmm. between uh, between these two, and and and, and you know she this is um, you know we we saw her she was at the table with um, with Loudermilk when he when they were going over the mm-hmm. the promos the commercials for their their Christmas Eve programming. So I guess she's a, a junior executive or some sort. And I'm sure once she she just wanted to be the the one that brought the headline. You know, just kind of like the bear that, that Frank would like this. This would be the good news, and and she would get some brownie points for being the one who brought him uh, the news that uh, you know that that his promo had killed an old woman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But his his answer to that is crank it up, <laughs> like crank up. Yeah. The, uh... Yeah. So originally he was saying run this every hour on the hour. And now he's like run this every 30 minutes with a disclaimer. <laughs> Anyone with a heart condition must leave the room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then uh, we get our right. we, we get our first shots of the set. Rehearsals are in progress of uh yeah, the big Scrooge special. Can, can we go the, back to the to the actress? Mm-hmm. If you've already talked about her in the previous minute or previous oh, segment, no, we haven't. But, we haven't talked about her at all. So if you've got stuff, let's uh, Mary Ellen Trainer. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I have a connection to the some of the casting we just had. Uh, uh, Murtaugh's son. She's she's the police psychologist in all four or more now is it or whatever four original uh, lethal weapon. Movies. Oh, okay. And yeah, she think... was in Ghostbusters too. Apparently, I don't know what part though. She was a mom in oh. Goonies. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, interesting because I, I, you know, I think we did mention that she was she was in Lethal Weapon because I guess she's um, like one of like someone like a, a go to for Donner that she's been in other Donner films, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. um, what her what her role was. Uh, and she yeah, passed Mary away prematurely. Uh, I don't. I think it was at like the age fifty or something like that. Mm. Uh, it doesn't say. It doesn't say how, but. Oh, yeah, it's at 62. That's pretty young. Oh, 62. Um, oh, she was the, uh, she also played the kidnapped sister of Kathleen Turner that kicks off the the entire plot for Romancing the Stone. So she's got that going for her, which is nice. <laughs> Romancing the Stone, another American classic, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sh- sh- yeah, and she was Mrs. Lewis oh. in Parker Lewis Can't Lose. She uh, another early nineties. She passed away from complications of pancreatic cancer. Oh, which is the big one. Yeah, that's yeah, that's one of those ones you don't get better from. No. So I'll pour some of this out for Mary Ellen Trainer in yeah. this Christmas season. Yeah, apparently, and uh, also, uh, oh, another tie-in uh, to Die Hard, Gail Whalen. Oh, that's right. In Die Hard. That's right. I'm trying to remember. Man, she she was all over the 80s, huh? <laughs> apparently. Yeah, Die Hard. Yeah, well, it, yeah, from like 88, 89, Die Hard, Scrooged, Ghostbusters 2, Lethal Weapon 2, Back to the Future 2. Goonies. Had a good couple of years there. Don't forget Goonies. 80. Yeah. When was Goonies? Well, Goonies. 85. 85. Well, and she was in. <clears throat> is it the same psychologist? She's in a few of these lethal weapons. Um, um, I haven't yeah, seen those you know, movies and, and for like a while. her position like changes a little bit, a little bit. Uh, according right. to, I think, but it's I the same character. Train, but essentially, okay. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be the same character. All right. She's just known by her title, not not by a name in it. Well, yeah, because she, yeah, she starts off as what just psychologist, and then she's police psychologist. Then she's Stephanie Woods in Lethal yeah. Weapon three, but then in Lethal Weapon four, she's Doctor Stephanie Woods. So uh, I don't know, maybe she went out to private yeah. practice. <laughs> well, she just went ahead and got her uh, doctor. Yeah, she finished it up. All right, good for her. <laughs> in between movies. <laughs> All right, so we then we we flash down. Um, so Grace has come in not to hear about the the poor woman that has died as a result of this harrowing uh, television promo that Frank's been airing nonstop. But he's been called down to the she's there to call him down to the set because there's a problem with uh, the uh, the woman from Standard and Practices um, <laughs> believes that you can see the nipples on these uh, the the screw jets as the as they are credited within. The movie within the movie, they're the Scrooge Dets, but within uh, in our movie, they're uh, the Solid Gold Dancers. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I hesitate. I'm 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 a big believer in uh, you know free press, freedom of uh, expression, 
and you know just freedom in general. But the uh, the sensor has a point here. I I think you can see those nipples. <laughs> uh, you can hardly see them nipples. <laughs> And I really looked, you know, I mean, the, the, the guys in the movie, they of course. Really yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really looked myself and yeah, yeah, you could, you could kind of see them nipples. You have to remember this is, this is 1988. There's no HD. Everyone's, you know, half the people are, don't even have cable mm-hmm. that are watching this. There's a fuzzy picture through, uh, you know, on, you know, rabbit ears, a signal oh. that they're picking up. That uh, they're not going to be able to tell. I mean, I, I can tell because I, you know, I've got the Blu-ray and high def, so I can tell that they're nipples. But uh, you know, your your average TV viewer in 1988 <laughs> is not going to see that. You know, when I was a kid with our TV at home, I mean, the, the old CRT cathode ray tube. You know, I, mm-hmm. I put my eye right up to the screen, and, <laughs> and I can see the little rectangles. <laughs> and that was all you, you needed. The pixels. <laughs> Yeah, you know though, she, I like- she it's not like she's you know um, being exploited because you know her her attitude and her face like she's owning it. She doesn't mm-hmm. care, right? Right? Yeah, she seems she's just as annoyed as as Frank is mm-hmm. at this distraction. She's like, listen, I got choreography. I got to go down. I've got a live performance that's going to be beamed out to millions of homes in you know in about thirty six hours. Mm-hmm. I don't have time for this. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> what she does her turn to walk away. She's, you know, she's owning it. Good yeah. good for you. Yeah. That's her uh, her regular thing. Yeah. And then you get another great line. Charles Dickens would would <laughs> Charles Dickens would want to see her nipples. <laughs> Um, That's unsubstantiated. <laughs> that is a bit of uh, supposition on uh, on the part of Frank Cross. There. Yeah, we we don't have Charles Dickens here to uh, back that up. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a pulling it out of his you know where line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then she gives, uh, and this 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 woman, um, Kate McGregor Stewart, is the actress who is credited simply as censor. Um, but she gives the line, but this is a Christmas show. That's what he says, the Charles Dickens line, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It seems like it, it would be an easy fix, though. Just lift that corset up just a, a half it, an inch. <laughs> not even. It, it does seem like it would not Order. be much of a stretch just to. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, but I'm not in. Costuming, I don't. Maybe it's all a delicate balance, positioning, and everything. Perhaps, uh, perhaps. Maybe it's a union thing. There's, you know, there's someone there who does wardrobe. If she starts moving things around, it, it becomes an issue. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> was union uh, issues that big of a deal back in the eighties? I'm sure they were, right? Uh, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure the, Huge. you know, t- television in, uh, yeah, in in New York City in the eighties. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, you think these carpenters are part of a uh, construction union? Oh, absolutely. The I heard that the one guy that says you can hardly see them nipples, uh, that line was an ad lib by that actor, Jake McGee. Yeah, yeah. So that's the um, the the great Jack McGee playing one of these uh, credit as a carpenter. And I mean, he's been in uh, Basic Instinct, The Fighter. Uh, he was in Moneyball, just playing. You know, if you, if you need a sort of a, a, a crotchety old union member looking kind of tough guy, um, 
you know, one of those guys that just don't give a crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blue collar kind of. He's yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's your guy, and he's he's been that guy uh, all over the place. But yeah, yeah. So there's I you know I have let me scroll up to the top of this. I have what when I downloaded it, it was um, so I have I was only able to find one copy of, of the script. It was uh, listed online, and again, if it's on the internet, we know it's true. As you know, as like the final shooting script um, on the cover page, it actually says seventh draft from November twenty third, nineteen eighty seven. But yeah, there's, I mean, it's not unusual that there'd be a lot of stuff in the script that didn't make it into the movie because just you know stuff gets cut. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of stuff in the movie that's not in the script, and and a lot of it is is Bill Murray's line and his ad libbing. But yeah, this line as well that uh, yeah, you can hardly see them nipples. <laughs> That's, and they're really looking. <laughs> and these guys are really looking. <laughs> uh, then she gets whacked with the light pole. Yeah. And everyone else sees it. The, the guy's duck, I think, does the, the dancer ducks as well, or is it after she's walked away? She had walked away already. You know. Everyone sees that lamppost coming except for... Uh, <laughs> Except for uh, our, our lady sensor here, and she, she gets whacked, which I guess... Oh, yeah, so the... Dancer walks away. The pole comes around, and uh, you know Frank shows he's he's not exactly uh, completely cold hearted. He does call over the nurse. Says, "Let's get a nurse over here," and uh, and then a voice from off screen calls out Lumpy, a name we have not heard previously. Mm-hmm. But Frank seems to uh, to be familiar. He looks around, and then we see he looks down at her. <laughs> he looks at down the unconscious because she just got a big lump on the head. <laughs> And uh, it's the it's no oh, it, it just it be, well before um, before he turns away he he throws in the line make sure her nipples are covered up will you <laughs> As me which I can only only assume is another Bill Murray ad lib another ad lib and then uh, anyway so so the call of Lumpy coming from off screen Frank looks down he looks around and it's it's Marion. It's our old buddy from it's, it's uh, Marion from uh, from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's Karen Allen, the wonderful Karen, Karen Allen, who uh, we may recognize the voice. This is Claire Phillips. This is the woman who uh, was magically dialed on the phone, whose voice we heard on that message. And uh, they're uh, they're friends or they're acquaintances, the former friends. Well, they're more than that, mm-hmm. as as we'll see later. You see his face change when he sees her, though. He goes from oh, yeah. from mm-hmm. the hard, like confused Frank Cross when he sees Claire, like everything lights up. Yeah, you see that th- this uh, camera move they do. It's like a wide shot, and as they walk towards each other, the camera zooms in on them, so they're still at the borders of the shot. It's a great zoom. Oh yeah, yeah. As they walk towards each other, kind of you know pulls in and, and gets close. That's yeah, uh, I like that shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's that's good directing. <laughs> well, Donner, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's at this uh, point. He's a he's a he's a pro. He's a pro. Yeah. He, I mean, he's, I, yeah. He he had directed a few things before this. So uh, yeah. Just last night, I watched his uh, his ultimate. In my in my opinion, Superman. Uh, so, Superman. <laughs> Super, well, no, the first the first one was in theaters. Fortieth anniversary. <laughs> And, uh, do you, you ever see the Donner I, Cut of Superman 2? I, I do own it. I have not gotten around to watching it yet, so I, I'm pretty sure I will, though, after seeing it last, seeing the original. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Have, have, have you seen it, Doug? I have, yeah. And it's marketably different. 
Yeah, really. I, I mean, if if you've seen it, if you've seen the second one enough as it was released, and then you mm-hmm. watch the Donner cut, you know exactly where it's different. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. For for the the listeners that don't know what we're talking about. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So so yeah, Richard Donner directed Superman, the the Christopher Reeve movie in what seventy eight, mm-hmm. um, and then. I, I don't know the full story, and but like made most of Superman two, yeah, right. and then uh, was was fired, and they, well, they brought mean, in a it, different director. Or- they, they were sh- weren't weren't they shot not all not all of Superman two at the same time, but certainly mm-hmm. they did yeah. a lot. Uh, yeah, a lot of concurrent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the shooting stuff. I'd imagine. And then they they brought in a, you know a different director came in and kind of finished it up and oh. yeah but and there's another a, another Richard Richard Lester <laughs> Richard Lester right hmm. from but yeah so there's Hard there's fame. there's a a Donner cut yeah of of Superman two mm-hmm. out there it's quite good okay sorry I, to, I didn't mean to, to that derail <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so I mean at this point in addition to Superman and. And what bits of Superman two he had done? He would also have done uh, the toy and the Goonies, and uh, we we we, we did mention that the uh, previously the Lethal Weapon series, of which um, the first one would have been out in eighty seven, the year before for this came out. So mm-hmm. this is a little bit of of a departure. And he had done before going into movies, had done a lot of TV, well, including uh, an episode of Gil or. Uh, a few episodes of Gilligan, Gilligan's Island, actually three episodes of Gilligan's Island, which will which will come back later in the movie, mm. but mostly drama. Um, you know, there's a little bit of comedy there, but um, you know, did uh, you know th- things like Kojak, the Streets of San Francisco, Ironside, and you know stuff like that. Um, not a lot of comedy on the resume until we get to. Um, yeah, until we get here hmm. to to Scrooge, so it's a bit of a departure. Well, I think it worked out well. So. I think he nailed it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so this is a little bit of uh, you know what I was saying earlier how how Frank starts to fall into an old kind of pattern and getting comfortable with Hayward when he shows up his old boss. Um, he also kind of you know this has this little bit uh, I feel is really sincere, and you get to see. We know Karen Allen. She's she's a wonderful actress, but we we get to see a little bit of the potential of what um, Bill Murray can do. That that I I get a, a sincere feeling that these are, as as we've heard, uh, they haven't seen each other for was it fifteen years, mm-hmm. but they must have been close at one point because they there's a certain comfort there um, that you don't usually get for someone that you haven't seen a long long time unless you were really close at at one point. Fifteen years seems like a long time for their level of familiarity, even right here. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know. They they use the word fifteen years, but it, I mean, you could tell me it's like two or three years, and I would believe it just as much because they seem very familiar with. It. Fifteen years is a long time. To, it depends yeah. on how familiar they were <laughs> prior. Then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so I mean, do you guys have experience? Have you ever kind of reconnected with someone that you hadn't seen for? Uh, you know, maybe not 15 years, but where it's been years and, and you kind of get together or you run into each other? Uh, if if you're talking about past girlfriends, uh, it's always, it's never that long, <laughs> never 15 years. But the yeah. the times, like whether it's a year or two or six months, it's awkward. <laughs> no matter what level of time you're talking, it's awkward. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it becomes, well, um, 
we would have guessed that you know that Frank is not in a relationship. He doesn't have a wife or a girlfriend. He's you know he's married to the job work. Work is his mistress. I think that would make it more awkward to kind of run into a, a former lover or an ex girlfriend if you you're in a new relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've had this. I, I ran into uh, actually my 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 best friend, uh, a guy I grew up with. I think we were like in second grade, and, and all through school we. Um, you know, we were together and then um, I went away to college and then I went away to a different college and <laughs> I went through a few colleges uh, before I was done with that thing. And, uh, I moved around a lot and we, it wasn't 15 years, but it was probably two or three years where we didn't see each other. We didn't speak at all. And then, uh, then I heard like through the grapevine, I heard he was getting married and I kind of just crashed his wedding. <laughs> Oh man! I kind of just showed up and be like, "Hey, remember me?" <laughs> and uh, you know, we didn't we didn't get talking much that day. Just to, you know, if you've been, you know, if you've been to a wedding, or particularly if you've been, the, you know, the, the the couple that's the focus of the wedding. You've got all the guests, and there's so much going on. You don't really, you don't get a chance to talk. You don't get too much time with any one person. So mm-hmm. um, we didn't talk too, you know, too much that day. But then. Uh, you know, we started hanging out again and communicating again. We kind of like re- rekindled the friendship and, you know, just kind of picked up where we went off, where we left off, um, you know, after a few years. So uh, oh, look yeah, at that. It, it can happen. Happy day for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Happy day all, all around. And they're, you know, they're, they're still together. This is 20. This has got to be more than 20 years ago. I mean, there's wow. their, their, their kids are in college, which is, um, yeah, that. That made me feel old when I realized there's people I went to high school with that, that have college-age mm-hmm. children. Oh, man. Well, in that case, look, you might have been <laughs> the catalyst in that marriage. Like, You know, if you never showed up, maybe that it wouldn't have worked out. There you go. Yeah. So, you're welcome. <laughs> I got uh, – he, here's another, another part where uh, – I use pretty regularly because once in a while, uh, my my son likes to Joe Grano call me Doug instead of Dad, and I tell him <laughs> yeah. around these parts most people call me Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so he, so it's the uh, the mouse wrangler, right? Yeah, yeah, the mouse wrangler. So yeah, so in, in addition to the you know the nipple issue that apparently requires Frank's attention, there's also the issue of attaching little antlers. To a mouse, and this is a callback to uh, uh, to to Frank's current boss, who mm-hmm. uh, who yesterday or the last episode let him know. Well, I guess yeah, at this point it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Anyway, who uh, you know let him know how many cats and dogs were watching TV these days, and uh, maybe they could add some mice or something to to keep uh, the cat's attention, mm-hmm. so they'll be watching TV. I wonder if it works. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's- but uh, so yeah, they're, I guess they're they're standing for uh, for reindeer. I mean, these days they would just you know be computer, they just CGI in some some mice, and it would it would kill it for me. I, when they do that, I can tell it. Um, you know, it's it's not the same as the real thing. So I like. I thought you were going to say CG in the antlers. <laughs> well, they could yeah that too. Have a real mouse, but <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was thinking just CGI the mouse entirely, but. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess you could just put antlers on, but it's it's not the same as the real thing. On these days, it's the this has nothing to do with anything with this movie. But um, since I have you here, listeners, I'm, I'm going to get out my soapbox. <laughs> when they do, when someone's smoking or supposed to be smoking, and then they they computer in the smoke oh. rising from the cigarette, 
that just seems like, and I know, yes, yeah, smoking is bad for you and secondhand smoke and all that. But if you can't even light a cigarette to keep your thing real like that, just whatever I'm watching, that will instantly take me out of it. Um, smoke is very difficult to do. You could probably do put antlers on a mouse easier than you can make realistic looking smoke because mm. whenever they do that, I instantly see it and, and I don't like it. No kidding. I don't know if I ever paid too much attention to it to notice. <laughs> eh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I notice these things at least. Okay. <laughs> so he calls the guy Marlon Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> Marlon Perkins, the road. Uh, uh, do you know who Marlon Perkins is? Because I did not. Yeah, Marlon Perkins from uh, Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I, oh, I used to watch a lot of that. That was, um, I don't remember what network it was on, but it was kind of like the, you know, the the nature programs, the 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 David Attenborough stuff mm-hmm. um, that they have on, you know, in the states. It's shown on PBS, or I think uh, I think Netflix is, is has a is showing those, you know, has that stuff on streaming now as well. But uh, um, yeah, it used to be it was a like I think it was like a one hour show, maybe two hours on a. On a Saturday afternoon, it would just be, uh, you know, footage of usually it was Africa. It was lions and wildebeests and zebras and stuff. And the host of the show was Marlon Perkins. So uh, probably, you know, yeah, a, a reference that we would have gotten in 1988 mm-hmm. probably hasn't aged real well. Not something the kids these days would pick up on. Uh, there's a lot of that. And there's another one right here <laughs> when he tells them, <laughs> tell it to Reader's Digest. Yeah. <laughs> That's another outdated reference. <laughs> Well, the, the, there was a lot of stuff in the original as well mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, when, when when Scrooge talks about, like, you know, the, the poor houses and stuff like that, we don't we don't have those things these days All either. Right. Fair so, enough. Uh, Fair enough. You know, yeah, they, they up, you know, they, they updated it for for the day, I guess. And then there's just the and the, the, the running, uh, I guess, the gag or the, the joke through this bit of. The, the hammering on the set oh. and Frank's he's, he's trying to have a conversation here and he's just the constant please will you stop the hammering and then uh, but he goes right to the the swear words even the first time he asks can you hold yeah. the goddamn hammering <laughs> yeah, I love every bit of it because he you know each one gets a little more and more desperate <laughs> could you hold the goddamn hammering yeah, and it's and it's you know they're this is a, they're constructing a set. This is the day before this you know the opening performance. They're you know they're doing the appropriate thing. You know, building a set mm-hmm. on a stage is appropriate. Him trying to have this quiet conversation, and then later he's he's going to be talking on the phone. He's the one who's out of line. They should be you know, will you stop trying to have a conversation on our stage? But. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's the boss. They can't really say that to him. Oh, yeah. But they don't listen to him. They keep hammering. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do keep hammering. And we see, so so Claire uh, hands Frank her business card. Um, she's a director at, at Operation Reach Out. Um, so she's she's a director, you know, so just as Frank has, she has moved up in, in her career. And uh, and you, you, you talked about phone numbers that uh, in this case, it is yeah. the... Uh, mm-hmm. They do the the five 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 only. They do the old fashioned KL five. Oh man, with the letters. Which even in the eighty, like isn't that yeah. that's from like the forties and fifties, where like people are using 
you know, letters for phone numbers, unless it, you know, unless it spells out something. Yeah, because isn't that why they use... It is 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. Well, the K-L. K-N-L. Yes. R-5 yeah. But they used to use that because that was, like, the only combination that didn't spell anything out. Right. Oh, is that why? That's what I, okay. I've heard, why they use 555, five, five, because it wasn't a typical extension. Mm-hmm. Because all the extensions, yeah. like the first three numbers, spelled something out. Right, right. And they wanted to reserve them for that usage. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. There you have it. Um, the, the, the only thing I'd like to go back to, though, that we did uh, fly over real quick uh, is um, the, the nurse. Oh, yeah. Played by, yeah. Played by Kathy Kenny, mm-hmm. who is Mimi from the Drew Carey Show. Wait, what? If you remember yeah. Mimi. <laughs> yeah, she sure is. The the heavily made up crazy lady. Absolutely, I remember Mimi yeah. from the Drew Carey Show. Without her makeup, or with, with quite a bit less. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she was the, uh, that way also on um, one episode of Seinfeld with uh, the uh, the handicap spot episode. Yeah. She was yeah. as well. So wait, I got I got to rewatch Almost this at the same time. Well, and then I like the <laughs> you know, the, the woman's lying on the ground and Frank turns her head yeah. towards the dancers. Like, oh. <laughs> can I do this? <laughs> no. And then then he just flips her can totally over no. or has has the guys the carpenters. Oh over. yeah, not very gently. Yeah. No. They're not being gentle with her and that Holy crap. That, that that does come to play back later on with her. Mhm. <laughs> her ailments. Her... It's Mimi from the Drew Carey show. It is. You don't say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've been I've been rewinding my my video to to, to catch the nurse. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. I got it. You know, I was I was doing research and kind of picking out people from the the cast, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't look up everyone obviously because I missed that one. I'm like, yeah, it's probably no one, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, turns out it's someone. It's a young Mimi. Wow. Young well, I think the only thing she said is no. Well, yeah, <laughs> one, one, one word, one not, line, not m- much Can of a I part. Turn her head? No, um, yeah, yeah. It turns it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and I, w- I, w- I will mention. So the the choreographer here yeah. is uh, is an actual choreographer. Mm-hmm. Bit a bit a bit of typecasting here. It's uh, Lester Williams, and he's got he's got a handful of acting things. Um, so he's you know the nothing else that I had really heard of. He's the choreographer here. He's in one episode of, of Good Times. I didn't realize, I know that, I, I remember the Smothers Brothers, or I've heard of the Smothers Brothers from like the, the 60s or the early 70s. Apparently they they came back in oh, yeah. the late 80s. That was big uh, for my family, yeah. My parents. In one episode of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour from 1989. Really? So big big Smothers Brothers fans in, in your family, Eric? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. But uh, for, for not quite as hippie-ish parents... <laughs> it, yeah. uh, it it's still, but they stay. They it's still with a liberal sensibility, and that's that's what mm-hmm. that's what the Smothers Brothers Smothers Brothers were known for. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, getting, that, getting themselves that, getting themselves kicked off of <laughs> by the by the by CBS. Yeah, that's that's what so, got kicked off yeah. is, is getting political. But uh, his yeah. So so Lester his uh, the bulk of his credits. Uh, it's in the section called Miscellaneous Crew and IMDb, but it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as choreographer, and I guess he just he was maybe it's a package deal. He actually uh, the choreo- choreographer for uh, five episodes of Solid Gold, where we've got the Solid Gold dancers appearing as the Screwjets. But those five episodes were in eighty six and eighty seven, so it would have been towards mm-hmm. the end of uh, of the run of the Solid Gold folks. But yeah, so uh, I guess uh, 
dedication to realism here. We've got our choreographer is an actual choreographer. Our nurse is not an actual nurse. I don't know what musical staging is, but he did staging for Sister Act and Saturday Night Fever. No? Yeah, how that's different from choreography. I don't know. Musical staging. Yes. But hey. It's an odd one. That's what he did. (laughs) So that kind of brings us to... uh, to the to the end of the minute and Frank Cross or the end of uh, the end of this section I keep forgetting we're not doing this one minute at a time but uh, mm-hmm. we're end of this section of the film and and Frank Cross is at the end of his patience while he's trying to give this solemn statement over the phone uh, regarding the death of of the old woman and and finally he's just uh, what is it like for the love of all that's holy <laughs> or something like that you know stop with the hammering for the love of God in your own body or was that before yeah. Yeah. Would you? Oh, when he's he's on the phone, like giving the statement, yeah. and they're they're still going, yeah. and like middle of the statement, he like like trails off as he puts the phone down to yell at the hammer again. Yeah, <laughs> his statement, is and great. and then you hear it, it. It's not the guy that we see, but from like off yeah, screen, right. someone says, "You got it," yep. and they stop, and they, <laughs> and when as soon as they stop. Everything falls apart. So, so stopping hammering supposedly means not a good thing. Things <laughs> fall apart. Apparently, but. that was not a good stopping point yeah. in the hammering process. <laughs> and the, and the, and our, stopping hammering doesn't mean remove your hand from the nail that, <laughs> and, and keeping it all together. Yeah, I mean, if the, yeah, if if the thing you're holding swing the hammer has, anymore has not Just been secured yet. You could you can stop hammering, but not completely let go. But uh, no one told these guys that. But our poor sensor lady can't catch a break. Right. No, she's in, that's she's, a yeah. She's, she's wrapped up. <laughs> she's been mended. Yeah. <laughs> but she's just sitting in this director's type whatever yeah. set type chair. And then uh, she sees it coming too. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike the lamppost, yeah. she sees right this time. This she sees it too. coming, but she can't get out of the way. <laughs> And uh, like all good bosses, when uh, or at least all the bosses I've had, when uh, when the stuff hits the fan, mm-hmm. he's just yeah. going to lunch. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we wrap up. Frank's, I'm going to lunch. Don't want to deal with it. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't want to deal with it. Exactly. Right. And uh, so that that kind of wraps up uh, this portion of the film. We have uh, our first ghost and promise of three more to come. Hmm. Yeah. So I can't uh, wait to see what's in store. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we certainly had our our shares of of uh, shivers and and scariness, and uh, certainly Frank was sh- shook up, mm-hmm. shaken up, shook up by that experience. So uh, who knows what else is, is going to come? Poisoned by Chernobyl. Yeah. <laughs> Another topical reference. Yeah. <laughs> Hot off the presses, there, Frank. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the things we were talking about is that, you know, I guess, you know, one of the things that Frank emphasizes is that he's the, the, you know, the youngest executive or the youngest president in the history of television. And and I suppose like part of the appeal of that is supposedly he has, you know, his finger, his, the, the metaphorical finger on the pulse, like he's in touch with, with you know, the youth, the populace, the demographics. Uh, you know, he even says at one point, you know, I know what people want to watch. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, all his, all his references and, and everything are so out of date. <laughs> I mean, even even for the time, naturally at this point, it's you know, thirty years removed. Everything's out of date. Yeah. But even even at the time, 
these were he was kind of out of time come on get with it frank <laughs> get, get get with it frank so um yeah so we're, we're at the end of this section uh so as we wrap up any more anything else you want to add any more thoughts on on scrooged or you know bill murray kathy kenny uh, <laughs> <laughs> i had nothing nothing further than i said when we started like i really love this movie it's very quotable to me. It even like at the end, you know, when when he turns, it brings a tear to my eye. Still to this day, I must have seen this hundreds of times, and it still does bring a tear to my eye. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's touching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, it, what what say you, Eric? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I I almost feel like it really could be a better version for what you for the reasons you stated earlier. That it's just taking this is it takes its time so much better. With mm-hmm. uh, him, you know, having a change of heart about his fellow man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, and I think the, the you know the addition of the the love interest exp- expanding, as you said, that you know one of the things that Bill Murray does or or, or wanted to do is expand those sections of the movie. It kind of gives you a little bit more, I guess, more well rounded conclusion in mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, and you know, it's it's one thing that that Scrooge feels bad that he was. Maybe a bit mean and, 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 you know, wants to be a better boss to, you know, be a better boss to, to Grace and, and Louder Milk and the, the other folks and, um, or that, you know, Scrooge would want to be better towards Cratchit in, um, you know, in the original story. But that's different. You know, that's just wanting to be a better boss or even a better friend is kind of different than, um, mm-hmm. than the kind of relationship that, that Frank has with, with, with Claire. And I think in, so, and in the original, um, I don't know if they, you know, we ever get an, a, a specific age, but um, in the portrayal, Scrooge oh, yeah. is usually shown as much older mm-hmm. than than Frank Cross is here, and 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 maybe that's part of it. Is kind of seen like, well, he's past the point where he'd, where you know, a romantic relationship, starting a new romantic relationship is, um, you know, it's not going to happen at that age, or or, or even reigniting put, an old one. Yeah, you know. you know, I mean, fifteen years is one thing for Scrooge. You get the feeling that. You know, maybe they're they're talking about thirty or forty years trying to re- rekindle a relationship. Maybe mm-hmm. that doesn't play as well. So uh, that's why they don't show that. But I see, you know, if someone's going to change, um, you know, kind of make make a major change in their life, um, I think it's m- most likely that they're going to make that change for love, for mm-hmm. you know, for a romantic love. That's a that's a big motivator for for a lot of people. Well, you know, even like the, being a more contemporary version of this, even the implications are contemporary too because like who can't relate to like a, a hungry and homeless poor populace mm-hmm. right or yeah. or uh like a um a struggling employee in in like a contemporary setting like even m- most of the adaptations you see are still set in the 1700s right right so i mean i think we as human beings can also relate more to frank cross's turn than ebenezer scrooge's yeah, yeah, that's that that's a that's a good point because I you know one of the the other movies I mentioned um, that's a you know family tradition is the Muppets Christmas Carol and that's one of the more faithful adaptations of the original story and it's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of 
humor in that. Just it's you know it's, it's Muppets. It's um, <laughs> a great one. Too. Um, but it but it is set. I don't know if they mention a specific year, but it is contemporaneous with the original Dickens story. It's you know old timey London with horse drawn carriages and. Um, you know, coal fires keeping the the house warm and, and stuff like that. And it's while it's entertaining, it's it's not relatable. Mm-hmm. If if you want to carry that message and communicate that message of 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 keeping Christmas, which which seemed to be the intent of of Charles Dickens with the original, then uh, you almost you almost have to you know you have to make it relatable. You have to bring it up to the present day, mm-hmm. and the present day would be whenever. You're actually doing the production, so I guess you have to make that's that's kind of your decision. If you're, are you true to the word and you kind of set it in old time London, or are you true to the spirit and then you set it really whenever you want? You make it contemporary so people can relate to yeah. it. Yeah, there you go. Think about that, listener. <laughs> I will. <laughs> and and guest. All right. All right. Well, so uh, yeah, so that was great. Thanks a lot, uh, Doug and Eric, for for, for joining us for uh, for episode two of our our journey through this wonderful movie. And uh, you know, so so Eric, if if folks want to hear more more of your insightful comment and hear more about Watchmen, where where can they find you? Yeah, it's uh, Watchmen Minute. Just Google it; it gets you to everything you need, uh, whether you're on iTunes or uh, Google Play to all your podcatchers. Mm-hmm. Get it there and. And uh, we're even on Twitter at Watchmen Minute, too. Yeah, another uh, well, a, a movie I enjoy, another good movie, and uh, another adaptation. Um, in this case, from from a comic uh, comic book series or graphic novel series. But uh, so yeah, so you you guys uh, you do a good job with your your co-host Travis Thank Bow, you. and um, you spend a lot of time talking about uh, some of the things we've talked about today. You talk about how. Uh, how it how it went through the the translation process from the original to the movie. So uh, yeah, I encourage folks to to check that out. And then uh, so Doug, if people want to hear more from you, um, where can they do that? Uh, just like Eric, you can find us on Google. We're Rocky Minute. Uh, just about anywhere uh, you can search for it. Uh, check all your um, podcasting applications and you will find Rocky Minute Podcast where we cover the movie Rocky. Actually, all the movies Rocky. We're in uh, the middle of Rocky 2 as we speak, uh, one minute at a time. Uh, we have a listeners group on Facebook called Mighty Mix. So, uh, yeah, Rocky Minute. Yeah, so that's a <laughs> that's a, a task that's growing before you with the, the Creed 2 that just came yeah. out recently. Tell so, me about uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> Never ending. <laughs> almost as bad as Star Wars. <laughs> almost. Yeah. Almost. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a, a another great movie and another great podcast that I encourage uh, folks to check out. And uh, listeners, if you you haven't had enough of of us here at, at Scrooge by the Ghost, or you want to let us know what we missed, what we messed up, uh, you can join the conversation on our Facebook group. It's the uh, the Jelly of the Month Club. Uh, we retain that name from uh, the National Lampoon's Vacation Days that we did last year. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, um, and that Twitter handle is at NLC Vacation Days. Um, so obviously another holdover. And uh, on the web, we're at GroundhogMinute.com. 
And, uh, you know, uh, apologies to uh, to the guests, to the listeners, and most of all to Pete Mummert. We ran out of time for this episode. Uh, we didn't get to that that special holiday message that Pete recorded, but uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it next time. So please come on back for uh, the next Spirit of Scrooge by the Ghost. Mm-hmm.